morning, everyone. The Bible reading today is chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Thanks, Caroline. Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you all. 
this morning. Time is perhaps our most precious resource. Uh, It's the thing that we always want more of. It's the thing that we hate having wasted. And it keeps moving, doesn't it? Uh, Yes, tomorrow becomes today. Today becomes yesterday. Yesterday becomes a distant memory. And Ecclesiastes 3, the passage that we've just read, shows us that finding meaning in my time means living in light of God's timing, the God who is over and above time. Now, if you missed last week, the teacher who writes the book of Ecclesiastes, possibly King Solomon, has set out to show us that true meaning and lasting gain can never be found in a broken world. Everything is meaningless, he's declared. Life is a vapory mist. It slips through our hands. We can never quite pin it down where we want it. It will never be quite the way we want it. There will always be frustrations and loose ends. The things that we seek seek our happiness in will never quite deliver on that promise. And the teacher now in this chapter turns his attention to time. And he observes a certain beauty in it. Verses 1 to 8 that we read this morning paint a very different picture to chapter 1, which we read last week. So back in chapter 1 there, we saw the teacher seeing life as being repetitive, never reaching a satisfying endpoint. And yet here in chapter 3, he observes that life has diverse seasons and rhythms to it. There's a season, verse 1, for every activity under the heavens. There's a, a beauty and a richness in this seasonal nature of life. God has made everything beautiful in its own time. The course of action that is entirely appropriate today might be completely inappropriate tomorrow and vice versa. There's a time to plant, but there's also a time to uproot what's been planted. There's a time to build, but also a time to tear down what's been built. A time to kill and a time to go to war, but also a time for peace and for healing. There are times when it's right to be silent, but also times when it's right to speak up. I'm sure we can all think of times when we've got that wrong both ways. Uh, Times of weeping and mourning, yet also times of laughter and dancing. This is the rich diversity of life. The activities of our life matter to God, no matter how trivial they may seem. He's appointed seasons for each one of them. And in many ways, our time is beyond our control, isn't it? We don't choose when times of mourning or weeping are going to come. Life can be turned upside down in an instant, in a a moment of tragedy beyond our control. Uh, We can search, but the time may come to give up. War and, and peace depend on decisions made by people above us. And who would have thought that a global pandemic would stop us from even being able to embrace one another? Now, there are things in life that we can control, for sure. There are things that we can have some level of influence over. Um, But much of life, we simply have to respond to or live with. Uh, So our time is beyond our control. And our time is also finite. It doesn't last. Verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Birth and death. Those are the, the unavoidable boundaries of life. Which brings us back to the reality of death, which which runs right throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. 
Every time the teacher searches for meaning in life and he thinks he's getting close, uh, he faces this reality. What does it matter if we're all going to end up dead? In the last few verses of the chapter, you would have noticed, he, he faces this seemingly hopeless thought. The fate of humans is the same as the fate of animals, he says. They both die. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. We all end up in the same place. There's a longing here, isn't there? There's a a longing that the teacher words beautifully back in verse 11. God has set eternity on the human heart, he writes. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. A finite life is an unbearable thought for the teacher. He can't handle it because he has a longing for something more. Eternity is on his heart. His life is only a tiny fraction of the timeline of of human history, and that's not enough for him. He has a burning desire for permanence that goes beyond the 80 or so years that he's going to live for. And if you're here this morning, maybe maybe just checking church out, working out if if Christianity is for you or not, and perhaps you can relate to that desire. Can this life be all there is? Can this be all there is? I think this desire becomes really obvious when we're faced with the reality of death. My my observation has been that people who give God and supernatural things very very little thought on day-to-day life when they're faced with the reality of death, it changes things completely. We, we want to have that comforting knowledge that the person we love who's just died is, has gone to a better place, that they're, they're looking down on us from above, even if that's completely incoherent with other things that we believe. We, we want to know that this isn't all there is. Eternity is on our hearts. So our time is beautiful in many ways, it's diverse in many ways, and yet it's also finite and beyond our control. It leaves us wanting more. And the reason for that, the teacher tells us, is that we were made for more. Eternity has been set in our hearts. We're bound by time, but we're wired for eternity. And if that's true, If that's true, then the best way to understand our time is in light of God's timing. Have a look at verse 14. The teacher knows that everything God does will endure forever. We're bound by time. Our achievements are bound by time. But God isn't. God has made things this way. Why? So that people will fear him so people will fear him, so that we understand who God is and who we are. Eternity is on our hearts to point us to the God who is over and above time. Now, if you were here last week, you would have picked up that the teacher refers throughout the book to life under the sun. And when he talks about life under the sun, he's talking about a perspective of life that that leaves God out of the picture. So it's a view that is purely based on what we can see, touch, learn, and achieve ourselves. And the teacher sets about dismantling this worldview and showing how life under the sun leaves the deepest longings of our hearts unfulfilled. For example, humans having no more hope after death 
than animals. I think, I think we all, at a deep level, want to know that there's more to life than that. The glimpses of hope in Ecclesiastes come when the teacher expands his view beyond the sun, when he brings God into the picture, hinting that there's a way for these longings that we have to be met. And that includes our longing for justice. The teacher, in verse 16, he looks around under the sun and he sees an unjust world where wickedness reigns. But then in verse 17, when he glances beyond the sun, he's confident that God has set a time to judge the wicked, a time to judge every deed. There's a time for every activity under the heavens, but also a time when these deeds, both the righteous ones and the wicked ones, will be judged. The Apostle Paul will say the same thing a few hundred years later. Uh, in his great speech at Athens, he, he tells us that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And this is good news, right? I don't know about you, but when I read verse 16, it is very, very relatable when I look at the world. If the teacher was alive today, watching the footage in Afghanistan with the Taliban running right, I don't think he'd need to change his wording a whole lot with what he's written here. There's nothing new under the sun. The world is an unjust place. And it's a great comfort to know that evil will be judged with perfect justice. Or is it a great comfort? How am I going to go when, when everything I've said, thought, and done is judged by a perfectly just God who has zero tolerance for wrongdoing? See, judgment is great when it's happening to Hitler or to Stalin or to the, the kid who bullied me in high school. That's, that's a great thing for God to judge. Uh, but I've done some pretty bad things myself, things that you'll never hear in a sermon illustration. And, and every single one of them is going to be judged. Lucky for us, though, God's good timing started long before the day of judgment. We read in the book of Romans that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God's timing wasn't just to, to wait for us to reach his perfect standards and, that, and then let us come into a relationship with him because it never would have happened. It was to send his own son, Jesus, into the world while we were still very much sinners to die for us, to lay down his perfect life to redeem ours. And so that if my trust is in Jesus, then I don't need to live in fear of God's judgment because Jesus has already taken that punishment. He's already taken the punishment for my sin on himself. Now, maybe, maybe you're hearing me saying that and you think, well, it sounds great, but I want to believe this, but I'm just, I'm just not quite sure. Uh, well, if that's the case, we'd love, love to be helpful. We'll have a moment a little bit later in the service where you'll have a chance to fill in the tear of contact cards on your, your leaflets. And if you pop your name and your contact details on there and, and you tick the box about wanting to find out more about Jesus and Christianity. Um, if, you, if you tick that and you, you pop it in the box afterwards, then Chris or, or myself or Catherine, we'd, we'd love to get in touch with you during the week and work out how we can be helpful with you, how, how we can help you make sense of it all. Because of Jesus, not only do we not have to fear judgment, but we can look forward to a time that will last. 
Now, I mentioned part of Paul's speech in Athens a moment, a moment ago. I might get, get you, Paul, to pop the, the whole verse up on the screen. Paul says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus died for our sins, and he was raised back to life as well, proving that not only will there be a day when there will be a day when all people are judged, but also that there's a sure hope of life after death for everyone who's trusted in Jesus. Because the judgment that we deserve has already been endured by Jesus on the cross. In the words of 1 Peter, we have new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So can you see, God has the answer for this longing for eternity that he's hardwired into us. It was his plan all along to satisfy this longing of ours through Jesus. The teacher, as he wrestles with the finite time that he has on earth, he doesn't yet know what Jesus is going to do. That's still hundreds of years later. But he knows that there's more than what he experiences in the here and now. There has to be. This can't be all there is. He knows that he's been made for something more. Now, perhaps as you read through verses 1 to 8, you, you think to yourself, you feel that my life has had more weeping than laughing. My life has had more war than peace, more hate than love. Well, what a comfort to know that there's something far, far greater to come. And if this is true, then surely we can trust God with all seasons of life, knowing that the God who knew the right time to send his son is the same God who controls the rhythms and seasons of my life today. The God who has set a time to judge every deed cares deeply when I'm mistreated. The God who has promised an unending, joyful relationship for all who trust in him loves us, even in the difficult times. It doesn't take away the pain that life's difficult seasons can bring. But who else would you rather have in the driver's seat? This is a truth that I know I need to keep coming back to. It's easy in the difficult times to wonder, where is God now? those times when we feel like we've been pushed beyond our limits. I need to remember, you need to remember, we all need to remember that God's timing is perfect. There's no season in our life that he's brought us into by mistake. There's always a reason. Now, the application of all this is not only to trust God's timing in the difficult times, although if that's, if that's all you walk away with today, I'll think that that's 25 minutes pretty well spent, um, but also to, to use our time in light of God's timing, to use our time in light of God's timing, to put our limited time here on earth at the disposal of the one whose work endures forever. And that begins with knowing what time it is right now. We're living in the last days, between Jesus' resurrection and the day of judgment when Jesus will come again. Um, as Richard Salmon pointed out to me the other day, nobody in history has ever lived so close 
to the return of Jesus. There's a, I mean, I guess I theoretically knew that before Richard pointed it out, but it was an interesting thing to think about. Now, the teacher says in verses 12 and 13, we should accept and enjoy the seasons of life that God's given us. Eat, drink, find satisfaction where we can. Enjoy the times of laughter, knowing that times of weeping will come. And endure the times of weeping, knowing that times of laughter will come. You're in a season of life right now that won't last. The season of life you're in right now won't last. Now, that might be the best news you've ever heard, or that might be a, a kind of a depressing thought to have right now, but that is, that is the varying seasonal nature of life. Uh, so accept and enjoy the seasons of life that God's given us. But more than that, we should see the permanence that our brief time under the sun is pointing us to. God has set eternity on our hearts because he wants our hearts set on eternity. Living our lives with eternity in mind is going to profoundly shape how we use our time. If we genuinely believe that Jesus was sent at the right time to save us from judgment that we deserve for our sins and bring us into unending life with him, then my hope is that that will make a difference. We'll want to invest our time in things that will have eternal value. What might that look like? Well, I hope coming to church regularly, involving yourself in the work that God is doing to grow each of us here to maturity. When you, when you take the time and when you make the effort to, to be here week after week after week, you encourage everyone here. You encourage me. Because you're saying, out of everything I could be doing right now, out of everything I could be doing right now, I am joyfully choosing to spend my time worshipping God and hearing from his word in fellowship with my church family. If you're a parent, each Sunday when you commit to take the time to bring your family along to church, you're telling them, this matters. God matters. Our church family matters. Every time you serve at church, come to church events, um, come to your, your growth group, you're giving your finite time to God's enduring purposes. And that's a great thing. I want to not only come to church regularly, but I want to invest my time in my, I want to invest in my own walk with God outside of Sundays. And this is going to look different for all of us. And it takes discipline as well, because in the busy seasons of life, when I feel time poor, the easiest thing to, to ditch is the thing that doesn't appear to give me any immediate sense of productivity. What I need to remember, though, is that my relationship with God is the reservoir that, that irrigates every part of my life. When we spend time in prayer, uh, leaning on God in prayer, when we spend time in his words, uh, we top up that reservoir. It's how God gives us the resources for each day, each challenge, each trial. Uh, we want to invest not just in our own relationship with God, but, but others as well. I was chatting with someone here recently who was having a really busy time. He was getting smashed at work, under a lot of stress, working long hours. But what really struck me from the conversation was that he was committed to being at home each night and reading the Bible with his kids before they went to bed, despite how tired he must have been. And I think he'll look back at that as time really well spent. 
Of course, living in the last days means that there's an urgency in telling people how they can be saved. Ecclesiastes 3 puts it pretty bluntly, doesn't it? There's a time to be born, there's a time to die, and there's a time when every deed will be judged. And if people die not knowing that the only way to be saved is through Jesus, then the judgment for their sins falls on them. A few years ago, an engineering colleague of mine died of a heart attack. He dropped dead at his desk. And when I heard the news, I remembered a car trip that I'd had with him a few years earlier. It was just me and him in the car. And I thought to myself, I had the opportunity to tell him the gospel back then, but I didn't. We just had small talk for 20 minutes. Now, who knows if he would have fallen on his knees and and believed me at that moment. I can't say I've ever had that happen before. Um, But as I look back, perhaps that was a time to speak rather than be silent. So if you're someone here who has put your trust in Jesus, how is that reflected in your use of time? Are you investing in things that are going to last? Our time under the sun is finite. In many ways, it's beyond our control. But it points us to the God who is over and above time, whose work endures forever who has set eternity in our hearts so that our hearts are set on eternity. Now, we've talked about time this morning. hope I haven't gone over time too much with it. Um, but I realise that, that for many of us, our t- a lot of our time is spent working. And that's the next topic that the teacher will address in the next chapter. We're going to get to that next week, and I'd love to see you then for that. But let me pray now. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for the the rich diversity that we have in the seasons of life. Thank you that when times of weeping come, that that we can trust that there are times of laughter to come. And um, we ask that when those joyful times come, that you would would keep us level-headed about that as well, that you would help us not to invest all of our being in the things of this world, but to know that as good as the times on earth may be, that there is a much better time that you are calling us to, a much longer lasting time to come to. And that is because you knew the right time to send your son into the world to to take the judgment for our sins and to bring us into relationship with you. So please help us as we think about the, the 24 hours that we have each day, the 168 hours that we have each week, all of whatever time you've given us in our lifetime. Help us to know that your purposes endure forever. And please give us wisdom to put our time at your disposal for your glory. Amen. I think Ellis is going to come up now and lead us in a further time of prayer.